Welcome to Palm Vista Community Church as we re-engage our series in the letter of 1 Peter. And this series is entitled, Living as Suffering Saints for God's Promised Glory. Living as Suffering Saints for God's Promised Glory. And Peter wrote this letter just about two years prior to him being martyred for the sake of the gospel. He was the pastor of the church in Rome. He wrote this letter in about 65 AD, and he was martyred. He was crucified in about 67 AD, just outside of the city of Rome. And he wrote the letter to Christians that are living in modern-day Turkey, and they were suffering. They were suffering Christians, and so he wrote this letter to encourage suffering Christians with the hope of a living Lord Jesus Christ. But it's not just Christians in the first century that are suffering, but Christians in the 21st century that suffer. Now, we may not suffer exactly as they suffered. They were beginning to be harmed physically. Their property was being taken. They were under severe pressure. Now, that may come our way in the years to come. We don't know. But here's how we suffer as they suffered. They were being rejected because of their faith in Jesus Christ. And we can be rejected because of our faith in Jesus Christ. And they were feeling the weight of that rejection from family and friends. Perhaps you felt that weight. Suddenly you're a Christian. Suddenly you're not doing the things they're doing. Suddenly you're saying that, you know, there's only one way to Jesus. There's only one way to God, and that's Jesus Christ. That not all religions are the same. And then you're being called closed-minded. You're saying what the Bible says about marriage, that it's between one man and one woman, and suddenly you've become a bigot. Or you're just morally living a life that honors God, and you're, be, you're being called a prude. You're being called someone that just isn't with it. You're being called someone that's legalistic, holier than thou. Who are you to judge me? And you feel the separation. You, you feel the rejection. And so Peter is writing to them, and this morning, from 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 9 and 10, he writes a message that is entitled, God's Chosen People. God's chosen people, 1 Peter 2, 9 and 10. And here's what, here's what Peter is saying to them. You may be rejected by the world because of your faith, but I want you to know this, church, you are chosen by God. Now, I know that's still hard, right? When your friends reject you, when the people that used to love you at work suddenly don't love you so much, when you say that one thing standing up for Jesus and, and now no one wants to talk to you, no one wants to eat with you at lunch, They're not talking to you, they're talking about you when you're not there. And you feel it, don't you? You feel the rejection. And the message this morning is this, that rejection is temporary. God's acceptance is eternal, is eternal. Now, it it may be hard for maybe you to feel the kind of rejection that the Christians to whom Peter was writing were feeling, but let me see if I can help you. It's sort of a silly illustration, but... It gets most of us in our feelings, and and here it is. You ready? You're a young person. Maybe you are a student at Miami Lakes Middle School. Go back to your middle school years. And you are standing in a group of people, and that group of people, there's going to be chosen two teams. Whether it's two teams in the area of drama or a singing competition or a dancing competition, or as I experienced it, 
playing basketball here on the courts right behind me, but you're standing here and a bunch of people and there's two captains and they start picking teams. Hey, I'll take George, I'll take Brenda, I'll take Susie, I'll take Fernando, I'll take... And as the names are being crossed off, you're looking around and you're becoming, you're starting to sweat and you realize, okay, the group is getting smaller and I haven't been chosen yet. And then your greatest fear is realized. It comes down to one person is left standing there and it's you. And the captains go, you know what? You take them. No, 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 you take them. No, no, you take them. And it dawns on you, they don't want me. They don't want me. Are you feeling it? The shame of it? The embarrassment of it? Okay, multiply by 10, 50, 100. This is happening to you in your families, in your cities, at your home. And you're, they don't want me. We're not popular because of our faith in Christ. Here's God's message. God wants you. God wants you. We sang it, chosen before the foundation of the earth, chosen before all time. God wants you. And and the message, that message comes thundering down on these Christians in modern-day Turkey who are sensing nobody wants me. I'm the last one in this line. But God wants me, and it comes thundering down to us in the 21st century. See, in Christ, we are God's people. That's the message In Christ, we are God's people. So what this message is this morning, it's very foundational. It speaks to us of who we are, who we are, and why we are here. Listen, this, these are the two questions that every religion, every culture tries to answer. Who am I? How do I define myself? Do I define myself exclusively in relation to other people? Do I define myself by my job? Do I define myself by my income, by my ethnicity? And once I figure out who am I, then why in the world am I here? What is life all about? Is it just eat, drink, and be merry because tomorrow we die? Or is there a purpose in life? Why am I here? Who am I? And why am I here? Well, let's read what God has to say to us through 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 9 and 10. You there? 1 Peter 2, 9 and 10. But you are a chosen race a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. I want you to look at the text. You see that little preposition in verse 9? A preposition is a small word that's hard to figure out what it's there for. Well, that preposition there, the word but, acts to connect verse 9 with verse 8 by way of contrast. By way of contrast. And here's the contrast. In verse 8, Peter is talking about those who stumble on Christ because they refuse to believe Christ and they refuse to obey Christ. But... That's not us, if we are in Christ. But we are God's people, chosen by God, a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. We are the people of God. We are the people of God. 
And, and that's really the sum of this message found on the screen here. We are God's people chosen to proclaim God's glory. We are God's people chosen to proclaim God's glory. We're not those who stumble on Christ. We're not those who disbelieve and disobey Christ. No, we are the people of God. God's people chosen by God to proclaim God's glory. And that leads us to the first point who we are on the screen. You see a summary here of the things that are listed in verse 9. We are God's chosen people. We are God's royal priesthood. We are God's holy nation. We are God's own possession. But I want to speak for a moment to you if you're here this morning and you're not a Christian. If you're here this morning, perhaps as an invitation from a family member, or you just wandered in because you saw the sign, or something mysteriously brought you here well let me tell you that that is God by his spirit leading you and I believe since you're here God is speaking to you through his word but here's what I want to say to you there is a distinction between those who do not believe God those who stumble upon Jesus Christ they stumble on the fact that the Bible says only through Jesus can you know God they stumble on what God says how we should live our lives and what this world should look like you stumble on that and you disbelieve and you disobey my appeal to you as you hear the gospel this morning that God would call you to himself because the things that we're about to talk The the definition of who we are is only found in Christ. It cannot be found apart from Christ. And I pray that you would stop stumbling this morning and that you would start believing and obeying Jesus Christ as your Lord. And I thank you for being here. But for those of us who are in Christ, this is who we are, my friends. We are the people of God. And Peter, when he wrote verse 9, is actually thinking about what God said to his people 1,400 years earlier in Exodus chapter 19, verses 5 through 6 on the screen. Exodus 19, 5 through 6. These are the words that God spoke to his people when he brought them out of Egypt, out of slavery and bondage, into the promised land, the Jews, Israel. And when they stopped at Mount Sinai and he constituted them as his people, he formed them as his nation, he said this to them. And this is actually what Peter is quoting in 1 Peter 2.9. Listen to Exodus 19.5 and 6. Now therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice, God speaking to Israel, And keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples. For all the earth is mine, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words that you shall speak to the people of Israel. And what Peter is saying is what God began in the wilderness what some theologians call, and I agree with them, the church in the wilderness, he then fulfills in the New Testament, and Peter is saying what God spoke of them is true of us. We're the Israel of God. We're the people of God. We are their descendants. In fact, Paul, when he wrote in 1 Corinthians, said that we are God's people and that the The Israel in the wilderness is an example for us actually to avoid in some ways. 
We are God's people. We, God has called us out and then he has united us and he's called us to be his saints in Christ and he joins us together as his chosen people. This is why we are receiving new members today. There's going to be three family units that we will receive into the church. Why? Because God has always had a people. It's not an individual thing. We are a people. We're called to be the saints of God. Now back to verse 9 of 1 Peter 2. You'll notice that it says a royal priesthood. A royal priesthood. In the Old Testament, when God called his people, he he separated a small group and he called them his priests. And he gave them beautiful garments. Even in that day, they were beautiful, very expensive garments. Imagine the nicest suit that you could find or the nicest pair of shoes or the nicest whatever dress, whatever you can imagine, the nicest jewelry, the nicest everything. And and they were clothed with clothing that set them apart as priests. And what that meant is they represented God to man and man to God. And only a select few could be priests. But now, in the New Testament, we are called in Christ and we're all now priests. We're a royal priesthood. Why? Because Jesus Christ is king. We're his priests. We're a royal priesthood. And what God has done for us is he's taken the rags of our unrighteousness and our filthiness and he's taken them off. Jesus took that sin on the cross and he gives us robes of his righteousness. So we're dressed in this wonderful, beautiful garb, priestly garb, so that we can represent God to man and man to God. And it's Jesus who gives us those robes. It's Jesus who makes us righteous. It's Jesus who makes us this royal priesthood. Looking on in verse 9, we're also a holy nation. What does that mean? Holy means Not necessarily morally right, although it can, it includes that. But here it means a nation that is separated apart for God. We're a holy nation. He's saying, you know what? These are my people. And I'm going to separate them out as my people. I'm going to mark them with the marks of the covenant. In the Old Testament, it was circumcision. In the New Testament, it is baptism. And it is the Lord's Supper communion. And, And they're the marks, the signs of the covenant that I've made with them by the blood of Jesus. And they're a holy nation. That's who we are. You want to know who you are? You're defined by that. You're a holy nation. You're a royal priesthood. You're God's chosen people. Listen, you are God's possession. David mentioned this when he was leading us in worship. We are bought by the blood of Jesus. We don't belong to ourselves anymore. You no longer belong to yourself. Your life has been bought by the blood of Jesus. You belong to him. This defines who we are, a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's very possession. Now, let me ask you a question. Why are we here? This is who we are, but why are we here? Well, verse 9b tells us we're here to declare the excellencies of him who called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. And before we get to point two, I want to remind you of something. God called us not because we're the most impressive ones around. He didn't call us because we are the smartest. He didn't call us because we have noble birth. 
He didn't call us because we had it all together. As a matter of fact, in the Old Testament, we learned that God said, I chose Israel, not because they're the biggest, they're not, they're the smallest, not because they're impressive, they're not. I chose them because they are my, I chose them. The Apostle Paul says it this way in 1 Corinthians 1. He says, not many of you were wise, not many of you were powerful, not many of you were of noble birth. Why? Because God wanted to shame the wise and use the the foolish. That's you and me. God wanted to shame the powerful and use the weak. That's you and me. God wanted to shame those of noble birth who thought they were something apart from Christ and use the despised. That's you and me. Why? Because God wanted a people who would boast not in themselves, not in their looks, not in their finances, not in their college degrees, not in their strength, but they would boast in Christ. And that brings us back to point two. Why are we here? We are here, according to verse 9 here of 1 Peter 2, to declare, to proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. That phraseology, called you out of darkness into his marvelous light, always points to conversion. So what he's talking about is God's people who are converted. I pause again to speak to you, dear non-Christian. If you are not converted, if you have not repented and believed in Jesus, oh, please do by the grace of God. But only those who have been called out of darkness into his marvelous light are then able to proclaim the excellencies of God. Now that word excellencies in the Greek has a large range of meaning. Part of that range of meaning can be God's mighty deeds, God's mighty acts, God's glory. Remember the foundational verse or the foundational sentence that defines our message this morning? We are God's people chosen to proclaim God's glory. This is it. We're chosen to proclaim the mighty acts of God. What are those mighty acts, Al? Well, there are two. The mighty acts of God in creation and the mighty acts of God in redemption. He's called us out to to declare to this world that God is the creator. And he's called us to declare to the world and that creator is also our redeemer. He created us, we rebelled against him and he's also our redeemer. He sent his son to die for our sins, rise from the dead and ascend into heaven. We are those who are to be light in darkness. The Apostle Paul said it this way in 1 Corinthians 10.31. So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. This is why we're here. The Westminster Divines would say, what is the chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. The Bible is clear. Why am I here? To bring glory to God. I can't do it on my own. I'm a glory thief. I'm a glory obscurer. I'm a a person who who is non-glorious in myself. But Jesus comes and turns my lack of glory, my shame, my sin into God's glory in Christ. He calls me out of darkness into light. Why? So I can then proclaim his glory. I can declare his glory. I can burn brightly with the glory of God because of the work of Christ in my life. Church, we're to live for God's glory. We're to proclaim the excellencies of God, the glory of God, both in word and in deed. And at the end of this passage, 
verse 10, Peter reminds these Christians to whom he's writing in the first century, and he reminds uh, us in the 21st century that the world's rejection is temporary. The world's rejection is earthly, but God's acceptance is eternal and it's heavenly. God has accepted us, my friends. And Peter concludes in verse 10, citing an Old Testament poem from the book of Hosea. Look at it with me in verse 10. Just read it. Listen to me reading it. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Peter was quoting Hosea 2.23 on the screen. And I will sow her, speaking of Israel, for myself in the land. And I will have mercy on no mercy. And I will say to not my people, you are my people. And he shall say, you are my God. Listen, we were lost homeless, with no glory, no mercy. We had no people. We were orphans. We were living in shame. And God takes us and he gives us life and he gives us his glory and he gives us his mercy. And he says, you're no longer alone. You're now my people. And I'm uniting you with all of these people here. That's why we're doing this new members uh, Sunday. We're doing it because this is God's work and we get to participate in it. You get to rejoice with me when we put the pictures of those that are joining the church up here. You say, yeah, my people. Yeah, those who had no mercy, have mercy. And they're joined with us and their family. This is what God is doing. Why? So that we can declare his excellencies. As Peter David says in his uh, commentary, about the poem we just read in verse 10 from Hosea 2.23. This poem sums up the election theme of this section and gives comfort to a suffering and rejected people who are to see their earthly rejection is only earthly. In truth, they are the accepted ones of God. Oh, church, we are God's people. We are chosen to proclaim God's glory. We who once had no mercy now have mercy. We who once were not people now are the people of God. What's the appeal here? Well, it starts with what we're about to do in just a moment. It starts with the new members. I want you to participate. This is why we make a big deal. This is why we bring food to eat afterwards. This is why we, we do what we do. I want you to understand who we are together. It's not individual, it's together. Here's my second appeal to you. In April, on the 14th of April, Thursday night, we're going to begin our Connect 101 class. We always do the third one on a Thursday night because there are some who can't come on a Sunday morning for the new members class. If you're, if you're coming to Palm Vista, if you say, you know what, this is my church. I like this church. These people that they all look a little different, but they're nice, I think. And, uh, I'm hearing the word of God preached and I'm enjoying that. And, and, and I want to be a part of this, but you're not yet a member. Listen, God has been making people, his people. And I think that part of that is you join or at least you explore it. So I'm asking you to consider coming out consecutive Thursday nights, beginning on April the 14th. It'll be in my office right around the corner here. And and we'll go through the new members class to Connect 101. How else do we do it? We proclaim God's excellencies in word. You may not know how to do that. Or you may think, what if I start proclaiming the excellencies of God in redemption or creation? And someone says, what about Darwin? What about evolution? You're saying Jesus is the only way? Prove it to me. Well, we want to equip you to proclaim the excellencies of God. So beginning on Sunday, April the 17th, we're going to have a new course entitled Go 301. 
It's, it's my privilege to kind of take the lead with this course and write it and then teach it. And in that Go 301 class, we're putting together, firstly, what is this gospel we go with? We're going to have some apologetics. That is to say, try to help you with some of the most difficult questions about Christianity. Why evil? If there's a God who's all good, all powerful, and all knowing, why does he allow evil? And moving on to how we can actually indeed in the things we do, in mercy ministries, and different ministries that God has brought to the church, proclaim the gospel. We do it as a church together. That is why today we welcome new members into the church. They are joining us as those converted, saved, brought from darkness into light, ready to proclaim with you and me the excellencies of God together, both in word and in deed, in lifestyle and in what we say. And we want to welcome them now, church.